Hello, friends, and welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast. Today, episode 103, and Jared, Jeffrey, and myself, Christopher, are continuing to answer some fan mail, hate mail, I don't know, what do you guys call it, but uh, answering some questions that we got from some of our listeners, and uh, probably this will be the last one of those that we do before we move on to something else. And so we'll use this to wrap up this particular uh, segment before we move on to couple to handle a couple of other topics for the month of November that we've been considering and some things that have come up as discussion items due to some of the other questions that we've brought out. So we'll have a couple of ad hoc episodes and then start into December. So anyway, we uh, have a question from a listener, and so we're going to read that question kind of talk about it, define it, and then do our best to try to answer that in a, in a way that is, I guess, helpful. So the question we got was, are there any examples or proof in the New Testament that supports or encourages hosting and or attending meetings? Uh, and I think the implication there is church meetings. And then this parenthetical says, or gospel revivals. So I'm going to read that again. Are there any examples or proof in the New Testament that supports or encourages hosting and or attending meetings or gospel revivals? So I think, you know, it's a it's an important question. And one of the reasons I believe that's true is in anything in life, if you never take a moment to ask a really basic question and about things that we just assume it's um, I think you're missing out on some, some opportunities to grow in your thought processes. Uh, There are questions about like, I remember the the first time someone asked me if there is a commandment in the scripture to partake of the Lord's supper on the first day of the week. And that started an interesting line of question that sent me to the word and asking some really good questions. My knee-jerk response would have been, well, of course, it's because it's what we do, right? But that's not really a good reason. And so this question, in my mind, is bringing up the question, like, what does the Bible say about God's people getting together? So I think it's probably important to to look at that question and define some of these terms before we try to d- define some of these terms, Jared, Jeffrey, you have any thoughts about the question or anything that sticks out to you? Well, I think that where this is a good question, um, as you mentioned, getting to some of the basics is, is an important part of this. And so, you know, the first piece I think is whether or not, a gospel revival or a meeting is considered an assembly of the church. Ooh. Okay. And that gets kind of to the definition and the spirit of what an assembly is. So if we are considering an assembly as a gathering of God's people, as called by the eldership Um, to satisfy the idea of God's people being edified, um, that we grow closer together in love. So we're putting several strings of of scriptural principles together in that statement Um, in a setting that is meant to 
worship God together, then that's what I would define an assembly as. What would you guys say? Yeah, I think that's pretty close. Only I would add, you said called by the eldership. I would say by the you know eldership or leadership in case there's you know situation where a church didn't have uh, elders uh, installed there. Um, I would also like to say that there's a lot of people who would use the phrase corporate worship in this, but there are a lot of people who hear corporate and they misunderstand. And there's a lot of negative connotations uh, associated with the word corporate. But what we mean by that is a very literal sense of the body, the local body, the corpus, right? The local body is going to worship together. That's really what corporate worship means to me. Um, but I think the way that you described it is helpful in that it avoids a, a term that could be off-putting or, or confusing to some people. Um, but I think you mentioned also gospel revivals or gospel meetings. So I guess in our fellowship, um, we have what are called gospel meetings, which are what a lot of churches would call revivals. Uh, in other words, they are a series of assemblies that we would have typically like all week, like Sunday through Sunday, every night, um, or over a weekend, you know, you could do it like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Friday through Sunday, whatever. Typically it's a time to bring in a teacher from another congregation, whether that be just some guy like us or an elder from someplace or an evangelist among the churches. And that's typically an opportunity for the church to reach out to the community, to invite people uh, to get a taste of the good things going on there. And so that is a, the having a gospel meeting or a revival or um, sermon series is a tradition among our fellowship that's still alive and well. And there we can talk a little bit more about maybe the why of some of that. Uh, But I think it's important to understand that, that's probably not something that was common within uh, the early church, uh, particularly the way we do it, where we have people driving from cities away to go and hear teaching um, and fellowship with saints in a different place. So that's something I think is uh, needs some explanation for those who aren't familiar. So it might be asking the question about what, what the scripture has to say about something that we do and have always done. And a lot of churches, like I don't know any religious organization or church that doesn't get together with some consistent frequency. Right. Uh, And it's pretty, it's it's common to Christians as water is to a fish and fish probably never sit around and have conversations about whether God wants them to swim in water because they've always done it or not. So there's this idea of gospel meetings, but to the other part of the question, examples or proof that support hosting or attending meetings. So I'm guessing that the meeting that is meant here is a standard public worship assembly as differentiated from the revival or the gospel meeting that we're talking about. Do you guys think that that's an accurate understanding of this question? I do. And as we kind of start to dig into this question, I believe that even though the 
the person who asked it didn't specifically ask it this way. I think that we can extend within the the context of this conversation to include any assembly that was not directly commanded by God within the scriptures. Um, and, and what I mean by that is God set an expectation for his people within the scriptures to come together on the first day of the week. Um, And it has become a tradition within Christendom in general to have additional assemblies, whether that is another one on Sunday evening, uh, Wednesday night has been a very prominent time for people to have another assembly midweek. A lot of people call it the midweek assembly. Um, I have noticed in the last few years, some, um, some groups not doing it specifically on Wednesday. They may do it on a Thursday or they may do it on Tuesday. Um, it seems to be a, a, a choice of whatever works best for their particular group and their particular people. Right. But there's been a tradition there. And I believe that people have asked that question a lot throughout the years is, you know, going to an assembly on Wednesday night or Sunday night, something that we need to do or have to do. And right. Asking that question, even asking this question to me is the wrong question to be asking. Okay. Um, you know, should we go to a midweek assembly is there any reason that we should attend meetings or host meetings? Um, I believe the better question would likely be, are these assemblies or are these meetings satisfying the spirit of the assembly? Okay. And so the, the Un- so, unpack that for me. So the, the core question there is, is what's an assembly for? Like, why did God dictate that there needed to be an assembly of his people? Well, I think the scripture gives us uh, several reasons why we are explicitly to do that. Uh, I think if you look at teaching about the assembly, 1 Corinthians 14 designates that what is done in that assembly needs to be for edification or the building up of the body of Christ locally. So I think edification is a huge one. And um thing is, okay, well, what builds it up? I mean, is it is it bingo? Is it um is it basketball? Well, according to the scripture, particularly first Corinthians 14, it's teaching of the word of God, prayer together, singing and praise together. Right. And and spending time together. Those are definite things that we see in the scripture that promote edification or that are a vehicle for edification of the church. So you can say, I would say those are some things. I know there are more. I'm just starting there. And that's where, as we think about First Corinthians 14, I agree with you. Um, I am going to say, you know, the unpopular opinion of I don't believe that First Corinthians 14 is necessarily directly about the assembly, but rather the assembly is being used as an example of what God's expectation is and things that he set in place to help fulfill that expectation. So in short, first Corinthians end of first Corinthians chapter 12 talks about there being a better way for God's people. 
Um, First Corinthians 13 is part of that better way, which is the way of love, you know, and that's where he said, that's the, what we call the love chapter, you know, love is yes. patient, love is kind, love is all these things. Um, and then chapter 14, he does the next part of the better way. And the next part of the better way is edification. So in particular, he's talking about edifying your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he, he brings in some language there to make sure that people are using the gifts that they've been given in a way that is going to be edifying to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And he uses the assembly as an example of yes. doing this, because this is a setting that God has put in place for God's people to come together. And it was a common practice, something that they would be, be able to easily draw on that is meant to be a setting of edification for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he then says, you know, in the assembly, these are the things that you're doing to bring edification and you need to be making sure that you're doing these things in order to edify your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's really this, this idea of edification and you see because it's being used as an example that God's expectation, it's a kind of an inference there that, it should be edifying. And so I, that's my long winded way of saying, I agree with you <laughs> and just wanted to un unpack that first Corinthians chapter 14 piece a little bit, because I believe that understanding it in that way does help us see that there's an expectation there set by God that we are to edify one another. Yes. And so, I would add to that, if, if I may, just because Jared, I have something that's directly related to the comparison of, of how Paul is writing that. It's like we would say that Ephesians 6, uh, where it talks about the relationship between the husband and wife is compared to the relationship between Christ and the church. If someone goes to that and says, see, this is a passage about marriage, they're actually incorrect. Jesus isn't using the relationship or Paul isn't using the relationship between Christ and the church teach about marriage. He's using what he assumed they would already know about marriage to teach about Christ and the church. And I think that that's kind of what you're saying that Paul is doing in first Corinthians 14, right? He's right. not saying, Hey, this is about the rules for the assembly. Although I would, there are regulations for the assembly there. What he's actually use, is, doing is using the assembly as an example of how the value of love would be expressed in the edification of God's people. Got it. Okay. Yes. All right, Jared, go ahead, man. Sorry. I was just going to say, I have a slightly different point of view on it. Um, in, in which I think we can still drive at the same goal of capturing the intent of the assembly, the spirit of the assembly and, and, I'll just tell you, as I have dug on this topic, I have really come to to call it the formal cooperative assembly um, because there's some formality to it that we see beginning down in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 14, <clears throat> really even verse 23. What we miss a lot of times is the start of 1 Corinthians 14 where he says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts and those are the first or those are the topics he has covered in the last two chapters. He has chastised them for their hierarchy of spiritual gifts, trying to create this animosity between one another about who's more holy and, and so forth because of the spiritual gifts they have. 
and then teaches them about love. And then he incorporates both of those ideas here in this chapter and then tells them especially to prophesy. And then he begins to expound on the uses and benefits of these gifts and, and all under the premise of what I can do for other people, not what God is doing through me or, you know, what I'm able to do specifically. And with that, you know, when, when I consider this passage, especially when I consider that there were women who had gifts of prophecy and I don't think the Bible accidentally said they could prophesy. I don't think it was some twist of terms. These these women had gifts of prophecy and we're told in this chapter, gifts of prophecy are for believers. And so there's revelation given to them by God um, that, that they were intended to share and they could not do that in the formal cooperative assembly even under the intent of being useful and beneficial and building people up. And I'm going to work this into how it fits this topic here in just a second or try to. I trust um, you. <laughs> and, and he, you know, tongues are for unbelievers, these gifts that are going out to people that speak a different language than you, and you'll need to be able to miraculously speak the same thing they do. There's a lot of really really practical use to these gifts, the gift of prophecy. They didn't have everything written down. They didn't know everything they needed to know. And and we see like in the council of Jerusalem, where they have a very baseline thing where, you know, this is what we want you to do, what we need you to do. But the church was going to build and expand on that. And just, and I don't know, using what we see today, understanding that human nature has always been human nature. This isn't an eisegesis. This is using what I understand of human nature to understand what would have been going on in, in these people's time, especially when we consider the things Paul has had to write to them about. It is easy to take something that I'm good at or want to do and try and incorporate it into what is done cooperatively amongst a group, because this is what I'm good at and I want to bless people with this gift. Now you move into verse 23, <clears throat> verse 25, 26. When the church has come together, when the whole body is come together. Um, and verse 23 says there, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and people come in, they're going to say you're mad. You're crazy. So, I believe there's an implied expectation here of everybody is intended to be at these assemblies that he's about to talk about. There's gifts and, and ways these gifts are supposed to be used, whether you're in the assembly or not, because it doesn't matter if I'm in the cooperative assembly, if I have gifts given to me by God and my intent and purpose in using those gifts is to bring glory on myself. My use of those gifts is condemned in the eyes of God in in the assembly or out because my use of those gifts should always be to bring glory to God. So in these cooperative assemblies, when we come together, the intent should be to spend this time giving ourselves and, and one another things that are upbuilding, things that are relevant. Um, verse 26, when you come together, each has a hymn, has a lesson, has a revelation, has a tongue and interpretation. Let all things be done to building up. And he, uses that phrase over and over and over again 
But then we see beginning in verse 26 regulations. There's a limit on the number of prophets that can speak. There's a limit on one speaking in tongues doing so only if it, if there's someone that can interpret. Um, women being commanded to remain silent and to be in submission to the men in the assembly. And those regulations do not come here till the end of the chapter because those gifts were intended by God to be used, but not all the time. And so what was beneficial in the assembly was to follow these. Oh, I had a really good word that was less uh, buzzy that I like to use on it um, than regulation, but that's really what it is, the regulation on how these gifts and all of our gifts can be used. And and he goes on to say that your spirit is subject to you. So just because you receive a prophecy, if there's already been three prophets speaking, then you hold on to that and you hold your peace. And so we work all that into the spirit of what this is and what the intent is. It's edification. It is the building up of the church and specifically in areas that have elders and, and, and leadership in general too, but that have elders, you think about what is done in preparation of assembly. And now because of the advent or the, especially the propagation of the clock, we really try to keep a limit on how long we spend there. And I don't, I don't think that early church would necessarily understand that as much. Um, but they have someone prepare a sermon and often what we preach about all three of us do teaching is the things that we have been interacting with in God's word or things that we have encountered in our life recently that has sent us back to God's word. And and we have come to a better understanding. So I don't think that we are too far off on our understanding. Yes, sir. Like I said, mine's just a slightly Um, different perspective. Yeah. Because I mean, when it is, I agree with you. You go back to chapter 12. I mean, he calls them out for things like gift envy and gift projection and those types of things. And I believe that as we get to the very end of first Corinthians chapter 14, whenever it talks about let things be done decently in order, that that passage isn't about making sure that we start right at 1030 or that we wrap up right at 1145 or 12 or whenever, you know, we generally think about in our tradition or even that we make sure that, you know, everything is lined out exactly perfectly, but rather think let things be done decently in order is pertaining to whether or not you're utilizing the gifts in the way that God has given them and the way he's intended them and doing it in the way of love and edification. Yep. Um, We agree there for sure. And so all take taking the step back and getting back to the actual question. I think it's clear that all three of us agree that the assembly is meant for God's people to grow in love for one another, to express their praise to God and to build each other up. And so as we come back to the actual question, I I had previously said, I don't feel like that, that the question of should we, do we have to go to these assemblies um, or should we go to these assemblies is necessarily the right one. It's are these assemblies satisfying the, the spirit of the assembly. So is it promoting love? Is it promoting edification? 
Um, and I think a, a good way to answer that question is, you know, the the leadership of, of each congregation should be able to make decisions that are best for the members of that congregation. Um, God has set the bare minimum expectation that we get together at least once a week on the first day of the week. And I agree with you, Jared, that um, we probably have a different timeline in our mind than what first century Christians did, you know, where we get together. I think sometimes, and this is tongue in cheek, but, you know, we, we take the passage of the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship Jesus in spirit and truth. We take that hour very literally, and we just want to be there for an hour. Um, but I think that they, it is more likely that God's people got together and they did have an assembly, but then they also just spent the day together because it seems like they spent most of their time together anyways. You oh. know, they broke bread from house to house. Um, we've got several different passages that point to that idea. What, Jared? When you look at, and and just to keep it in the context, because I think Acts 19 is a really good study of that, but <clears throat> roll this conversation back to 1 Corinthians 11, and there's a lot of things that we traditionally do or don't because of 1 Corinthians 11. But if you kind of step back and look at that with some fresh eyeballs, what you see is a group of people who is coming together and, and really intending to spend some time together. They were going to share the, the body of the Lord and partake of that communion with one another, but they were also sharing meals together. And in that, they they messed up and became, became cliquish and really shamed people in the house of God, but they were doing more than just partaking of the communion. And they were damaging their fellowship because of how they were sharing meals. And that fellowship was destroying what they had in communion or common, commonness, which is, it's funny, the communion there is the same word as fellowship. Um, but. Koinonia, right? Yeah, koinonia. And so they were damaging that. And we we use it to kind of regulate some things to avoid that happening. And I don't think it's wrong to do that. But the church spent a lot of time together. And these people, you know, you consider the differences in our society and culture from theirs and, and whom to whom the gospel would have really resonated. There were a lot of indentured slaves, a lot of people whose time was not their own. A lot of folks who probably had time to get away Saturday night for us, which would be Sunday morning for them, sundown to sundown, and spend that time until right before the sun came up or right as the sun was coming up. And maybe they had good masters and they were allowed to stay for a little bit and, and they, they shared breakfast together, let's say, or, or whatever the case may be. But like I said, the, the time just looked way different because their society was way different. And in that, we have an example of the beautiful liberty that we have in Jesus Christ, that it is <laughs> transcendent of culture. This this body, this kingdom is transcendent of 
their culture, of our culture, it begs us to come be a part and does everything it can do to say, come be part of me in a way that you can still be fully human and yet integrated into this kingdom that's very foundations are up in heaven. Yeah, and it, it really points to this idea of us being adopted into a family that we see multiple times. It's that spirit of adoption um, where we are united through the blood of Christ. And and so I agree with you on that. And I, I do believe that it looked different then than what it looks like today, because in our right. tradition, like I said, we, we come on Sunday morning and then a lot of the times what we've done for the last several years is we'll leave, have lunch, whatever, and then we'll come back and have a second assembly. And again, you know, we've got to ask ourselves the question like, yes, that's the first day of the week, but we've already assembled once. And so should we assemble on, on that second piece? Well, we got it. We've got to come back to the base question. And that is, is the eldership number one, are they able to call another assembly? I've been asked that question before. Do they have the authority to call that extra uh, quote assembly? And then because they, if they do and the, and they do, do we then as members of that congregation have a responsibility to be there? And so I'm going to answer some of those questions say, I be- absolutely believe that elders or the leadership of a congregation have been given the authority by God to make those decisions. And it po- and part of it is the liberty that you talked about, Jared, is that yep. we do have an incredible liberty. But if God is, and I'm going to use an illustration here, a CEO of a company, and he says, my expectation is that you guys have at least one team meeting per month, and I'm, I'm going to change timelines there, but per month, um, to get on the same page, to team build, to make sure that you guys are are a team, a family, whatever. But then he has given an authority to the team lead and say, okay, guys, you guys need to make a good decision for what's going to be best for your team under the confines of what I have already said go make it happen. If those team leads decide that it is best that they have a weekly team meeting or even a daily team huddle, then they have been given the authority by the CEO to do that. Mm -hmm. And so if elders have been given authority by God over a local congregation, then they have the liberty and ability and authority to say, okay, God has said we're going to meet on the first day of the week. We are going to satisfy that bare minimum point. We are going to have an assembly on the first day of the week. But we also believe that it would be beneficial for our people to share in love with one another, to focus on God, to build each other up, that we're also going to have an assembly on Sunday evening or Wednesday evening. Yeah. So Or Tuesday evening. Right. You know, going back to your discussion or a comment, Jared, that you made about how that the first century Christians likely didn't have clocks in their in their churches, but now I mean we have you know one on our wrist and one on our pocket nowadays. 
I mean, we are we manage time so much differently than the ancient world because of the advent of the clock. And for us, having a time that is set by a, a objective standard of okay, we're going to meet at this time, and it's going to last about this long, and it's easy to communicate and hold that standard. That works really well in our culture, right? By and large, and that culture, like you said, there there be people whose time wasn't their own. And wouldn't it have been terrible if you've got, you know, some slaves that get off at 3, 3 p.m. and some slaves that don't get off till 7 p.m.? What are you going to do? Well, I think that's why the command is to tarry one for another. And I could easily yep. see a setup. And I would give just about anything to go back to the first century and watch Corinth do this right, right? I can imagine where there was an agreed upon place that the that the body of Christ was going to be gathering that day. And at that time, there would have been um, people at some point, there might have been some people partaking of the Lord's Supper in a very dignified and reverent way. And that was the Lord's Supper. And you might have had some people in one area um, who were just having a love feast, having a, a sharing of a meal together. And then there might have been someone else and there was some teaching going on. And maybe in another place, there was some singing. Now, you might say, well, that sounds like chaos because there's there's a hundred things going on at one time. Maybe it was that way. Maybe everybody did everything at the same time, but there may have been three or four sermons throughout the course of that day. And there might have been people yeah. partaking throughout the day as they could get there. We don't know. Um, but what we do know from the scripture and from other writings is that the Christians got together to do what God commanded and it worked for them. And we have a tradition that by and large works for us. I, I don't, I can't confirm this, but I have been told the fact that we or the reason that we have a second service on a Sunday. I mean, as a culture was to allow for people who are doing shift work for people who had to work on Sunday morning to give them an opportunity to to meet and partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, and that's what I've heard. I don't know if I can't verify that, but it's a tradition that arose out of the needs of the people of God in that time and place. And, you know, imagining a scenario where the, the church isn't necessarily benefited by calling another assembly on a Sunday evening it seems incredulous and scandalous to some people, but if it makes sense, that's what we've got to do. And I'm reminded of my passage um, in Mark chapter two, where Jesus is Mark June 25, where Jesus is talking about the Sabbath. And one thing that Jesus said in this uh, particular discourse in verse 27 is that the Sabbath was made for man, not made for the Sabbath. God didn't create man um, or create the Sabbath first and say, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to fit man into this grand scheme. What he did is he created man and he thought man needs rest. He needs something to mark a day specifically to me. And so the Sabbath was a creation of God based on the needs of humanity. And the attitude of, well, the church is going to do what the church is going to do. And people who, if they want to come here and be a part of this family, then they just need to accept whatever we do is backward thinking. The leadership of the church has a responsibility to say, what do our people need? And let's do that as long as it 
is appropriate, godly, and edifies the body. So with that, and, and I love this illustration. When I when I preach about this especially, I, I use this. Because inevitably, when I talk about how broad the concept of worship should be to us, how encompassing maybe is a better word, the the conversation of worship should be for a Christian, because it, it's literally me falling on my face before God, being prostrate before him, saying, you are Lord and I will do it your way. And the assembly is one of those things. So inevitably, what someone hears is the assembly is not that important. I love to incorporate this thought process of the Sabbath in because Jesus said Sabbath wasn't made for man, or sorry, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but that didn't make the Sabbath not sanctified to God. And we see that exemplified in the Old Testament when a man gathered sticks and was stoned. The Sabbath was to be sanctified by him. Was it more to be sanctified more than the sacrifice of goats or his teaching of his children the law and how he was a husband to his wife and no all of those things were important they were all sanctified just because one thing is is good doesn't make something else not as good and then you know we can get into hierarchical things but with this topic especially and christopher what you talked about that idea of understanding the spirit of the assembly and what the church needs and even incorporating what the community needs, what is going to be the most beneficial for our body of believers and how we interact with this community, this little section of God's kingdom in Plainview, Texas and Gainesville, Texas, or in Stillwater, Oklahoma, how are we going to have the greatest possible impact and that kind of brings us back to some conversations we've had like about fasting. No, I don't have to fast. There is not a command in the New Testament that says you have to fast once a month on the second day of the third month, so forth. But it's a tool we have. Now, we have a command to give on the first day of the week, thereby providing an expectation. We have a command. We have an example of the New Testament church coming together to break bread, specifically on the first day of the week. There's a lot there and so we should do that but then we can step back and ask the question of not do i have to but what can we do and where can i give and if that means coming together because i've I've got a particular body in any given place that needs really to be built up then we need to keep having these regular assemblies as often as possible to build these people up or maybe there's particular Hardship going on in our area, um, and, and that can be secular in that there's uh, mass job loss. When we had the oil bust in Oklahoma in 2015, um, ag kind of took a hit too. And so in Stratford, Oklahoma, the economy was pretty tough. And and I can tell you, I was a banker there, I, I know, because oil went under and ag went under kind of at the same time. And, and it stretched and people were kind of stressed. And guess what? It's good to have somewhere you can go regularly where well, you know there's a group of people there that love you and that love the Lord, and they're going to be pushing you towards him every step of the way. And those things change and they fluctuate. And sometimes what the church, you know, when I say the church, I mean the local congregation needs to be doing is being really incorporated into our communities 
and, and trying to find the need there. But sometimes what is absolutely most needful is a place where people know they can come and hear God's people singing his praise to one another and hear someone giving a testimony of how God's word has really impacted their lives and how it has made a change and it's brought some meaning and some purpose and some definition to a life that was desperately needing it and given a clean slate to a life that was desperately needing it. Amen. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump back in here, Jared, and say, you know, that there are examples of these types of things happening. I know that during COVID, you know, whenever there was a lot of cancellation of assemblies due to a lot of different reasons that there are some elderships and some leaderships that started to reconsider the, the benefit of what the structure of the assembly was doing for their people. And I know that at least one congregation that I I can think of decided, you know, the second, the afternoon assembly on a Sunday evening, um, really wasn't benefiting their people to the uttermost. Not saying that it wasn't beneficial. It wasn't what they needed. What they needed was time to talk. Because as we all know, during COVID, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of dissension. There were keyboard warriors. There were passive aggressive text messages. There were, you know, all the things. And there were there was some coldness there. And there were leaderships who decided, you know what, we're going to have an assembly on Sunday morning and we're going to spend the day together. You know, they still got together. They were edified. They were building up in love. Uh, they worshiped God together, but they needed that face time to renew that relationship and have that unity that God expects of his people. And that's an example of an eldership making a call because what they what would end up happening is, and they recognize this, is that a third of their congregation would come to that Sunday evening service and the people that really needed that face time together weren't really getting that. So, you know, every time we talk about this, my mind draws on the same example. I don't think I've ever told you to this, but you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because it's an example that incorporates all of us and our families, our, our homes growing up. And that's specifically Thanksgiving at grandma and grandpa's house. There was a time that we were going to officially eat Thanksgiving lunch every time. But we were going to get there by 10 o'clock and we were going to hang out and then we were going to have lunch and then we were going to continue to hang out and the pies would be left out and then the finger foods would be left out. And eventually you'd probably eat again, but it's just kind of, you know, Hey, grab this, throw it in the oven so we can warm it up and then we're going to eat again. But we had the time we were going to eat, but we were pretty well there all day. And some people came and went. We, I mean, we had deer hunting, people leave to go hunt or leave, but guess where we always ended up again before the day was over. Scuffling in the living room. Do what? I said scuffling in the living room. That's right. (laughs) Until grandma kicked us outside. If it wasn't too cold. That's where I learned the word scuffle. It's like, you need to go go outside if you're going to scuffle. That's right. Well, I didn't see the scuffle, but I want one. Sorry. (laughs) But but that's it. I mean, 
And and that's what I think of, you know, back on Jeffrey, I don't remember when we stopped really doing it very often. So I don't know if you remember regularly having Sunday lunch at grandma and grandpa's house. Um, yeah. It, I think it got, I think it got to a point that Aunt Vicky and Uncle Jimmy's family and then our family just had gotten so big that it was becoming a lot for grandma. Right. I mean, we were basically having to all cook and bring food. So it kind of got to, Hey, I'm having to fix all, all of this anyway. Let's I'm just going to eat at home. Um, but we did that regularly and then we were there until it was time to go to the second service. And that's, I mean, it's just what we did, but there was this time when you were going to officially eat lunch and have that formal lunch together. And then you kind of broke up, but you were all still there together. And, and you would have conversations with four or five different people during that time and sit down and have, I mean, sit down and listen to grandpa talk or someone talk to him. And I mean, it just, that's what I think of. And when you bring that into the the family of God in a local area, you have this time that you're going to come together to do this specific thing for, you know, for our family, it was eat Thanksgiving lunch for God's family. It is to partake of the Lord's supper. And you have this time you're going to do this. And around this formal event that's going to happen, you have these things that intertwine with it because when you do that and you come together in the family of God and, and you do sing hymns about who God is and his wonder and how benevolent he is to his creation, it should absolutely stir your mind to think about your life and who you are before that benevolent and omnipotent and omniscient God. And sometimes it compels you to want to give testimony. And sometimes it compels you to want to go before the church and ask for additional assistance and help and prayers and pour, like it says about the unbeliever to pour your heart out and say, God is among you of a truth. Mm-hmm. And, and so you have these elements of things that are such a beautiful blessing of God's people doing things his way in a way that is clearly visible. Thus the spirit of the assembly, it is the women refraining from using their gifts of prophecy because that's what God has asked them to do in that setting. It is the prophets speaking in order, those that speak in tongues, asking to someone, can someone interpret this? And when the answer is no, they go, okay, I'm going to sit down. That brings glory to God and say, these people really care. They really believe in what they're doing. And then in our specific settings, like for Plainview, we have a spring meeting and a summer meeting, revival, whatever you want to call it where we incorporate this time where we bring someone in, our elders usually have an idea of what they want them to teach. And so the purpose of that is to build the church up mm-hmm. and to extend this teaching and this benefit that we regularly get. It's someone from outside bringing in things that they see because they travel and, and they do studies with other people in other places. And they see the common things that are going on in the church and they're bringing that testimony to you going, this is what I see This is what God's word has to say about these things. And so it's beneficial to all of us to go, hey, this is an opportunity for me to be a blessing to someone else and to receive a blessing from them Mm -hmm. by being part of these assemblies, these additional assemblies on top of just what I do on the Lord's day. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I've actually had conversations with people within the community of Gainesville of, you know, and we've probably all gotten this well, you know, 
I, I can't come to church because I don't want to miss from my home congregation. And I, I completely get that. And, and I've been into a lot of community events where they say, you know, I already go to church somewhere else. And I'll say, hey, well, hey, you know, we're having this meeting here in a few weeks and, you know, we're going to have an assembly, you know, every night of the week or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, well, that would be a really good opportunity for you to come visit and, you know, enjoy the blessings of being with our congregation and hearing God's word taught there and, and those types of things. And so as we're getting back to kind of that core, that core question that was asked, you know, are there examples or proof in the new Testament? Again, I, I'll come back to, are we just wanting to be bare minimum Christians? You know, if, if our mind is thinking about this in a way of, do I really have to, like, do I really have to go? on Wednesday night? Do I really have to go on Sunday night? Do I really have to go every single night of the week whenever we have that gospel meeting? Like to me, that's a bare minimum Christian mentality. Um, and, and if you're asking that question, the answer is inevitably yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Because here's the thing. And this is where I, I think that it all comes back together. If the elders are doing their job, or the leadership is doing their job and they are trying to set an environment that they say, this is what the congregation needs. This is what's going to best serve our congregation. This is what's going to best serve our community. And this is what we're going to do. And they're making their decisions based on their understanding of those things. And you're asking, do I really have to go? The answer is yes, because they're doing it for you. Like they're doing it so that you can grow in love and that you can grow in unity and that you can be edified and that you can grow in your maturity and your thought process where you're no longer asking, do I really have to get together with God's people? And the question is, is how can I better edify my brothers and sisters when I'm around them? It's very much like Jeffrey, you know, do I, do I have to eat three meals a day? I mean, not to stay alive, but if you want to thrive, I would recommend it. And I was going to compare it to do I do I have to eat the pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving? But well, yours is I mean, a lot better. You don't have to, but I would seriously doubt your faith in Jesus if you didn't, Jared. I'm just, I mean, well, and and you know, for me, I would I, I like that example because I'm going to turn the question because it's something I want. My question is, can I, can I eat the pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving? And with that, there's, there's a little bit, again, we can tie this into our fasting. We can tie this into lots of elements of the Christian life where when we reconsider the idea of worship, and and I know this is not necessarily the intent of this episode in the question, but where it's, Change the idea of worship to bowing down before God, ways and areas where I bow down before God. And if our intent and desire is really to acknowledge and honor our Creator and our Redeemer, not just not just our Savior, but our Lord, mm-hmm. then the question is, can I? Yeah. And can I be at additional assemblies? Can I be a part of this? And I'll tell you, there are things in life that I have wanted to be a part of and didn't necessarily feel welcome 
and I felt myself asking the question, can I, can I do that? Can I be part of that? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, man, have I got to do that. Yeah. And and sometimes the question, you know, came with this idea of there's going to be some requirement on me. That's going to be yeah. uncomfortable at times, but the discomfort is okay because it's what I want to be doing. Yeah. I'll, I'll hearken it back to something that I loved to do at one point in my life. And that was play football. I loved playing football. And there was plenty of time that it was absolutely uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But the question for me every week was, can I can I play through this soreness? Can I play through this injury? Can I play through this? And if the answer was in any way or even close to yes, I was going to do it. Yeah. And, and there's lots of things in our life that are that way. That's a, a very simple example. But there are elements and tools about our Christian life should be get to that point. And if we're not, then we have some other questions to ask and, and God's word will provide those answers also. But that's where I would, would spin this and turn it is, can I do this? Yeah. Well, and I'm I'm going to add, you know, the heart of a child here. Um, Friday, I was off work for a holiday and there was a mix up in our schedule. I thought our family was supposed to clean the church building um, and so I was going to take Joanna and Charlie up there and I was texting a member of our congregation on the way there. And, and he was like, it's not y'all's week. It's somebody else's week. So like on the way there, I pivot and decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else do that. Cause it's their week. That's their blessing to give. And we ended up just the girls and I went here and there. We went to a couple of different stores and they kept asking me every single stop, like, when are we going to go to the church building? When are we going to go to the church building? When are we going to go to the church building? And they enjoy going there. And the, the reason that they enjoy going there is that there are people there who they like spending time with. They're, some of their best friends are there. And the idea of not getting to go, like, they just were very disappointed. And I think that's why they kept asking, like, Because every time they did ask, I would say, well, hey, we changed our plans. We're not going to go. Well, why did we change our plans? Why can't we just go up there anyways? Um, And to me, that illustrates really well, we should have that heart of a child where we want to be there and we want to be doing and we want to be serving and we want to be around those people. And I, I do want to take a step back real quick and just say the person who asked this question, they were not meaning, I do not believe they were meaning this question as a barren minimum type Christian or thought process. Right. Uh, I don't, I don't want anyone to think that way. Um, however, that is a thought process that comes up. And so I'm glad that we've talked about that because it is important to help us work through that mental exercise and get there. Um, yeah, I, I really felt like this question was meant more as a prompt for conversation, wanting to get us to talk about this topic specifically. Yeah. And so I'm going to add to the spirit of the actual question though. Um, They said host or attend meetings. I'm going to say that based on our culture. So you had mentioned previously, Jared, that other congregations within the first century, like you didn't have the ability to drive from Corinth to Ephesus and be like, Hey, we're going to visit you during a gospel meeting. 
Right. However, we have that blessing here. And, you know, here in, at Gainesville, I was telling somebody the other day, we're 30 minutes from Ardmore. We're 30 minutes from Sherman. We're 40 minutes from Gunner. We're 30 minutes from um, Denton. We're an hour from Paradise. Like we are in the middle of a lot of different congregations. And it is very easy for us to go and visit the gospel meetings that those congregations are having. Now, I don't get to go to those congregations on a Sunday because usually I'm with our local body. But it is really nice to be able to go and visit those congregations during a gospel meeting or a a singing that they're putting on because that continues to build me up. You know, Hannah and I went down to a congregation in the Houston area a few weeks ago, and we went to an area-wide singing. And that experience was just so phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, I I have not been moved emotionally singing like that in a long time, but it was just so beautiful and so wonderful. And it was one of those settings that you didn't have to care about how good you sounded. People were just singing out praises to God at the tops of their voices. And it was just very moving. And it's going to be burnt in my mind for a long time, I hope, because it was just a phenomenal way to worship God. And, you know, if it wouldn't have been for that Saturday evening singing, I may not have experienced that. Yeah. I may not have been built up in that way and seen the love of God's people from all of these different congregations coming together, coming together under one roof and really being blessed by that. And so to the point of the question, like it also provides us opportunity from other congregations to be able to be there. Even though I don't fall under the authority of that leadership from another congregation, I get to enjoy the blessings of the wisdom of that leadership for having that particular meeting. Right. So, you know, I I thought of an example, Jeffrey, of Acts chapter 11, where we have an example of... The, the elders at Jerusalem visiting Antioch um, and a bunch of people went and verse uh, Acts 11, 27. And these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, not elders, sorry, prophets. And so they went and they blessed and they shared a perspective, right? And I think this is an example of congregations, you know, visiting one another to encourage and build up and let them know what God is doing there. And, and blessing one another and learning about needs so they can continue to work together for the glory of Christ. And so I think we definitely have an example here of that in Acts eleven twenty seven. So real quick, just there's a beautiful example here of the differences in society and thought process. Antioch is north of Jerusalem, but it says they came down. In our part of the world, we we talk of up and down as north and south. The Jewish mind thought topographically. They left the mountain of Jerusalem and went to a lower elevation to Antioch, closer to the sea. So just interesting point there. And I, I feel like I should have brought this up sooner to really address the question, but Acts 20, we see specifically... Now, it's not a congregation, but it is Paul, host a meeting, and called for the elders from a different congregation to come to him. So he hosted a meeting in a different place, and they came to him. 
No, it's just the elders. But it was for the purpose of edification. He was calling them for a specific purpose and warnings to give them because he had spent a lot of time with them. And so we have an example there of that kind of thing going on. And I think when Paul offered that call, there was an expectation that these guys would come and they did it. And so, and I think that it points to the expediency idea. You know, I don't, I don't believe that that example to your point completely translates well to having an assembly or calling an assembly in that way, but it does give us some information on the expediency of having people come to you um, you know, as he was in a hurry traveling back. Um, and again, also the expediency of providing edification for people. And right. that's a teaching. very, that's a very touching narrative in Acts chapter 20. I mean, you've got a bunch of, I, I picture a bunch of old, bald, bearded men crying together because they're never going to get to see Paul again. And so they were yep. very willing to come share that moment with him. And it was uplifting for them. Well, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, we're we're getting on to about an hour, which is generally where we try to shut it down. Um, I want to say first of all, you know, thank you to you guys for your time and your insight on this. I, I know that this is a topic that the three of us have discussed in other contexts with one another uh, that we're very passionate about. And so I also want to thank the person who asked this question. This question has been a blessing and it has provided some time and space for us to think through some of these very important concepts. And I think talk about it in a way that I pray will be helpful to people Um, from a baseline perspective, you know, takeaway points here is our assembly should be edifying. They should be uplifting. Um, They should be promoting love and unity within the fellowship of God's people. And we need to trust our elders and our leadership to make the decisions that are going to be best for the members of that local congregation and what's going to do best for sharing the gospel with people throughout that community and serving that community. And so I pray that we'll all take these things to heart and have them in our mind as we start to grow in our thought processes about how we think about the assembly. And it absolutely is a benefit to go and be involved in these types of situations. Jared, Christopher, do you guys have anything else that you guys want to share on this? No, sir. Well, again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for spending the time with us. Um, If this has been a blessing to you, we ask that you share this on Facebook or with your friends via text message. Um, And we are just so grateful for your time and your mental effort as as we have traversed through this this evening. Um, Finally, we're going to end with a prayer. Jared is going to lead us in that prayer. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Our gracious, most loving Heavenly Father, we first of all thank you for preparing the plan, executing the plan to send your son to redeem us back to you, that we could receive adoption and be called your family in your name in heaven and in earth. Father, we thank you that with that family, you have given us 
the records and accounts of our brothers and sisters of times gone by and how they interacted with your word and how they interacted with one another and when what you desire for us and from us in relation to what we give to you and what we give to one another. Father, with that in mind, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that it is to get together with our family, that you have set times and and opportunities in order that we might come together and strengthen one another, build each other up so that we can go out into the world and be your image bearers to, to point others back to you and to show the, the light and the love of Christ living in our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to endeavor to study your word, to apply it to our hearts, that it might manifest in our lives. We pray that you would help us to conform every day more closely to the image of your son and to learn to love the way he loved and especially to love your family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.